The Incredibly Daring Podcast is basically just me and Jason, our friend Jill, and we read vintage choose-your-own-adventure books to each other in the 70s and 80s and 90s, eventually to the 90s ones. In space still, obviously, because I don't know how we'd get back to Earth. But uh, but First of all, we've already had this conversation before, and it was we recorded those back in the 70s and 80s. Oh, when it was happening. No, I never remember that. I never remember that. So... Anyway, we can drop all of that because we're, we're time travelers as well as uh, we're not time travelers. No. We were just very young at the time that we recorded those podcasts <laughs> with my with my quasi baritone. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Yeah. So, welcome to Incredibly Daring, episode 27. Um, I'm your host, Jeremy. I'm Jason. And today we are going to be talking about a couple of films. So we'll be talking about 2007's Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and 1975's A Boy and His Dog. But before we get to that, Jason, how has your week been? All right. You do anything interesting? Because the only way I watch things is is binging them. <laughs> uh, my wife finally got me to sit. Your down. imaginary wife? Yes, that one. Uh, finally got me to sit down and watch uh, Shit's Creek. So I've been binge watching that. Uh, I think I finally hit season five. There's five seasons out of it. Uh, it hasn't really got a whole lot of fame or notice until about season like about the time they were releasing the end of season three into season four people apparently really started taking notice of the show and uh i guess they just got picked up for a sixth season so so what you're saying is the first three seasons are skippable no no you have to binge it you heard it first guys start with season four that's where it got popular (laughs) You're horrible. What about you? Uh, I did some things. Watched uh, the first two episodes of the new Twilight Zone. That's out? Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was out. I knew yeah. it was coming. I didn't know it was out yet. Well, I won't spoil anything for you then, but I will say that I am still very much on the fence. Okay. Uh, I am not. If the third episode turns out to be... Um, well, let's just say anything like the first two. I will probably not be watching the what's it air, after that. What, what what's it airing on? The uh, C- all, CBS All Access. CBS. Oh, yeah. All Access. But yeah, I think that's it. There's oh some... no, there's um, the other 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 thing. Joe Bob. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually surprised I didn't write that down. Yeah, last drive-in. First two weeks of of. Um, First two episodes. First two weeks. They've already had the first two weeks out. The first week was um, Chud and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Castle Freak. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention. I was yeah. like, I was like, Chud was horrible, Chud which which I expect most movies to be, you know, horrible to some level because you know they're driving level movies, like sure. But Castle Freak was actually pretty fucking good. Yeah. Castle Freak was done by the same people who did Reanimator and From yes. Beyond, and same actor, same actor, same director, same producer. And um, I actually own Castle Freak. I have it on. Uh, I like Castle Freak so much that I bought the only copy of it that I could find, which was on a double movie disc from like Blockbuster Hollywood Video just before they closed. And the other movie, which was the the primary movie on the disc was like a 2001 or 2002 like softcore porn horror film called Deathbed 
so like a remake of a film about a bed that eats people. Oh my god! But it's just an excuse to get naked women on a bed. I didn't know that movie actually existed. Yeah, Patton Oswalt talks about it. In it's his a stand-up. shit film. It's yeah, it's a shit film. But it was bundled with Castle Freak, and I liked Castle Freak so much yeah. that I bought that DVD just so I could have Castle Freak. So I I, I honestly thought that was just a part of Patton Oswalt's bit. I no. did not know that was a real. It's a real film. There is the original film, which was made in like the 70s, which I think is the one that Patton Oswalt is talking about. But then there was a remake of that film in the early 2000s that was like straight to video I'm pretty level. sure. I'm pretty sure the 2000 one is the one he's talking about okay. because uh, it was something about he was getting asked to audition for it or something. Yeah, well, then maybe he was. I yeah. forget what his part was. I don't think he ever mentions what his part was supposed to be, but he said he got called for an audition and it was for... Deathbed, the bed that eats people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nope, that's a real film. Okay, so I missed. Uh, I missed uh, week this, two. This week, week two, two was. Well, do you want me to spoil the movies or? Yeah, you can. T- I mean, I'm, okay. I'm going to see it as soon as I pull it up on Amazon right. Prime. Week two was Cue the Winged Serpent and Society. I don't think I've seen either of those. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Sweeney Todd. Let's get that. We need to get that out of the way. Demon Barber Fleet Street. Based on the musical by Stephen Sondheim, uh, which also I... Did he... I thought Sweeney Todd was a much older musical. You're probably... I was just going to say, which Sweeney Todd also partially based off of uh, Barber of Seville. Seville. Right. So... Okay. But partially... uh, Sweeney Todd is still kind of its own thing. But yeah, it was a Sondheim uh Okay. Yeah, I mean I've just been getting the two mixed up. So and Sondheim's been writing musicals for decades, you know. Right. But so. I was thinking like hundreds of years, like yeah. <laughs> two hundred nope. years ago or something. So Nope. All right. Yeah, ba- uh basic premise. It's a barber who gets falsely accused of something, gets uh shipped off on a prison ship. And then later comes back home to London. Uh, Meanwhile, the judge that had falsely sentenced him steals his wife, steals his daughter, fucks up his whole entire life. Uh, And now Sweeney Todd is uh, coming back under his new assumed name, Sweeney Todd. His real name is Benjamin Benjamin Barker. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So he's coming back to basically get revenge on all of the people that fucked him over. And uh, that's, yeah, basic. That's the basic premise for it. So um, it's a musical, obviously. Uh, yeah, it is. Sondheim also wrote other musicals, uh, Into the Woods, and I don't know, 50 million other things too. But my theory is. He loves writing musicals, but he hates actors. That's my okay. theory. Why? Uh, because the stuff that he writes, the musical exchanges are so complex. Into the Woods has some insane moving parts going on between us. Uh, several of their principal actors as well as the chorus and none of it feels like it ever meshes up the whole time you're listening to it or performing it or whatever and uh sweeney todd had similar sure stuff as well so um but it's artistic and it's interesting and I don't know. I, I like it overall. I'll give but. you artistic. I'm not sure about it. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it, it does tend to be more difficult to pull off. And uh, you basically want professional musicians who are also actors doing a lot of these roles instead of actors who also might know how to sing. It's just kind of, he definitely leans more towards the musician side, I think, when he's writing his stuff. So, this one was directed by Tim Burton, uh, starring Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd, and Helena Bonham Carter was Mrs. Sweeney. Um, that wasn't her name. Mrs. Oh, Mrs. Lovett. <laughs> Who the fuck was I? Sweeney. Oh, okay, never mind. There was no Mrs. Sweeney. There was. Uh, edit. She wanted to be Mrs. Todd. Pause. Yeah, she wanted to be Mrs. Todd. 
But yeah, uh, Mrs. Lovett, because she had the meat pies. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really like the artistic style. It definitely felt Tim Burton-esque sure. uh, as far as that goes. And the level of blood spatter throughout the movie I felt was probably the appropriate amount. Um, it was very cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, I actually went and saw... Um, when I used to live on Earth, uh, the uh, local opera company did a Sweeney Todd stage stage performance, and uh, they also had they did a little more artistic. But most videos and stuff I've seen of live theater um, of Sweeney Todd tend to still use over the top amounts of blood and work it in with the music and the choreography and all that. Uh, the The local one that I saw actually used red scarves. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. They, they, used, they used some red scarves, and, and it, but it looked cool the way they did it. So my experience with this movie was um, as soon as the movie started, I went, if this starts with a song, and then they broke out into a song immediately, and I went, nope, and I shut the movie off, <laughs> and I turned my computer off, and I picked my computer up and I threw it across the room. <laughs> and that was the end. I was done. This, I I don't know if I like this movie more or less than Moulin Rouge. Really? I had a really hard time with this movie because they wouldn't shut up. <laughs> I, it's a musical, so. Here's the thing. Okay. The one point in the entire film where I was... In, I was caught up with everything that was going on, was very, very focused, was when um, Sasha Baron Cohen was on screen. He was fantastic in this film. Yeah, he was really good. Everybody else in this film was fucking god-awful. Oh. Um, even Helena Bonham Carter, who I usually like, was obnoxious in this fucking movie. The little kid was obnoxious. Um, oh, what's his face? Alan Rickman looked so tired throughout this entire movie. Like, he just wasn't fucking there, almost. No screen presence whatsoever. And at about the halfway mark of the film, this is a two-hour film, because these fucking musicals are so inefficient in telling their fucking story. (laughs) This is a two-hour film that could have been an hour long, because at the exact halfway point of this movie, Sweeney Todd already has the razor to the judge's neck. And fucking blows it because he wants to sing a duet with the motherfucker. <laughs> He's trying to savor the moment. No. He's savoring. He's being a fucking dumbass. And I knew as soon as he started singing, I was like, for fuck's sake. He's not. It's the halfway point. He's singing. This is not going to be the fucking kill scene. Somebody's going to interrupt or something's going to fucking happen. And then we're going to have to go through another fucking hour of this bullshit. <laughs> and then by the time they get to the fucking point where he actually kills the judge, it's just over in an instant. Like, there's nothing, like, it's, there's no, there's no showdown at all. He's, it's another one of those, why don't you let me give you a, a shave? And he's like, yeah, because this is the appropriate time for that. Yeah. And he sits in the fucking chair and he slits his throat and drops him in the fucking pit and that's the end. And I was all like, they could have done that an hour ago. <laughs> if it was going to be that abrupt and fucking pointless, they could have done that an hour ago. Instead of a big uh, duel or, or something like that. Anything. Rickman's walking stick versus Sweeney's brazers. Whatever. Anything. Yeah. The minute that Sasha Baron Cohen was done and over with, I was done and over with this movie. Like, that one segment with him in it was fantastic. He was great in this movie. He was the only person that we could fucking sing. And then everything else, I was just like, for fuck's sake. How the fuck is our hero supposed to be our fucking hero like normally in these movies you have the guys that are like okay they've been they've been wrongly convicted of crimes or whatever and they get to come back and have their moment of revenge and blah 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 we get to the halfway point of this movie where he's going to have his moment of revenge he fucks it up because he's a fucking idiot and then after that he says fuck it i'll just be a regular murderer and then we'll have some fucking cannibal shit going on downstairs what we no longer have a fucking hero in this movie now. 
We now, it's just a movie about fucking villains, so there's nobody to fucking root for. Yeah. And then, when you get to the scene where he gets to have his fucking revenge, it's so just tossed out the fucking window that it's like, well, then that wasn't satisfying. Sasha Baron Cohen is already dead, so there's nobody else to fucking root for in this movie. <laughs> and he was a bad guy, too. So it's like... I don't know. I kind of like... Uh, I mean, honestly, I think that was a statement on society in and of itself, you know, just... What, that everybody's shit, and if given the chance, everybody's going to turn into a cannibal? Well, not 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 the cannibal part necessarily, although I think that was done, you know, as shock value, sort of, whatever. But the, I mean, when they're singing about uh, what's on the menu, you know, before sure. they do actually start cooking people, yeah, they are addressing that sort of theme in that song, too, sure. where, you know, everybody kind of deserves to die, sort of. Right, but yeah. why aren't they looking at each other? They're the ones that are sitting there talking about becoming cannibals for profit. They they, they eventually do look at each other. <laughs> well, sort to a of. Point. I mean, he looks at her. Yeah, she yeah. is blinded by him the entire fucking yeah, movie. Because she, she is in love or yes. infatuated or whatever, yeah. but So, yeah. This movie makes but me he twitch. does say he does say in the song he said they all deserve to die, Mrs. Lovett, even you, even I. So they do. Yeah, well, then he could have turned the razor on himself, and that would have been the end of the fucking movie, and we would have been fine. Yeah. At what point does he go? Fuck it! I'm gonna fucking turn people into sausages. Did you and be okay with it? Did you think he was gonna kill his daughter though? Well, uh, after he killed his wife, I uh, I was pretty sure that. There was never a moment where I thought that his daughter was in danger. I did not realize that he didn't recognize his daughter until he didn't fucking recognize her. Ah. Like, I thought that... Because he knew all about her being trapped in the fucking house yeah. and all that other shit. And he knew about the plan to bring her to the fucking place. So I thought he was all on board with that. Didn't realize till the very end when he was about to kill her and then didn't, that he didn't recognize her at all. Yeah. And she thought he thought she was a guy. And then he let But, her I mean, he go. hasn't actually seen her... You know, since she was a baby, so I don't give a shit. Like, and by that, I mean, to be fair, by that point in the movie, I didn't give a shit. Like, he could have killed her. I'm like, fine, whatever. Like, I don't. I, I, I'm not on board with this guy at all. When the little kid killed him, I wasn't like, I, I, I was. I wanted to be jubilant, and I just wasn't. Like, I just didn't fucking care. The scene where he threw Helena Bonham Carter into the fire looked really cool. And I wanted to be, like, excited about that, and I couldn't. Like, I just didn't care. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't care about any of these fucking people, so. They've not done anything that makes me give a shit about them. They've just been shitlords for half a fucking movie now. Like, the first half of the movie, I'm like, all right, fine. He's out to get revenge for the loss of his wife, the abduction of his daughter, the destruction of his life. I've seen these movies before. I can do this. I'm fine with this. I wish there wasn't any singing. <laughs> but I know what I know this movie. And then halfway through it, it's just like, oh, well, no, I'm just a serial killer now. And I'm like, really? Like, that? your big turn was I missed my chance to kill the judge, so now I might as well be a killer? Like, how does that make any sense? Now everyone has to pay. Sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I did. I did buy anybody's motivation in the in the film. I think uh, Stephen Sondheim is a shitty writer, um, <laughs> and I'm just going to attribute Moulin Rouge to him, even though I know he didn't do it. Oh my god! Because Moulin Rouge is also a shitty movie. Yeah, no, he writes only original stuff, which we know Moulin Rouge was not original music. Yeah, I, I even forgot Moulin Rouge wasn't original music. That's how much I tried to burn that fucking movie out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Steven Sondheim is at least 50% of the reason why I don't fucking like musicals. Because <laughs> it's just singing exposition 90% of the time. You can make a regular movie have an exposition scene that is half the length of a fucking song in one of these fucking movies and move on to your next, sh your next set of things that you have to do. To be, to be fair, though, I mean, this was a movie adaption of an actual stage musical. Sure, so. but I'm talking about musicals just in general. Like, it doesn't matter if it's on the stage or if it's in a movie. You can, you can do a play without it being a musical. 
and you can do everything that a musical does in the fucking in a more efficient manner. But but then where would the singing go? Yeah, there wouldn't be any singing. Uh, you know, like normal rational people. No. I want to live in a musical. Well, you go ahead and do that. <laughs> you can break out into song whenever the fuck you want. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently Jeremy gives it a thumbs down yeah. and I give it a thumbs up. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah I wanted to... I, I figured I had to sneak sneak uh, another musical in there. So I figured so, too. Yeah. So that was Sweeney Todd. And That's then, all you don't want. There's nothing else you wanted to add to that. No, no, you. I, I gave it. I mean, I think I, I think I hit on all of the things. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I wish, I wish I could hit all of the. <laughs> so, next movie. All right. So, uh, the masterpiece that I um, <laughs> recommended was uh, 1975's "A Boy and His Dog." Uh, starring Don Johnson in one of his earliest screen roles. Um, it was directed by a guy named L.Q. Jones, who's actually mostly known as a character actor. He's only directed, I don't know, like four or five things, I think. Um, but he is mostly known as like a character actor in like westerns. So the movie starred Don Johnson as Vic. Uh, he was 25 or 26 at the time of this film. Um, it has Suzanne Benton as Quilla June Holmes. She's a Canadian-born actress. She acted throughout the late 60s into the mid to late 70s, and then hasn't really done much since then, and she's mostly known for this specific role. Uh. Uh, Jason Robards played Lou Craddock. He was the the main guy on the council, and he is... And, and her... Was he her dad? No. No. He, no. Okay. Oh, um, well, I guess... I guess no one's their dad. <laughs> Yeah, the way it breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, he died in two thousand, and he's done like tons of stage work. He was really a uh, popular stage actor. Had eight Tony nominations, which I think is musicals. Yep, um, which I think is the most. It's tied with somebody else for like the most nominations for Tonys and for a male actor, something to that effect. Um, but he also did a, a ton of like TV and movie work uh, throughout. I want to say the late 50s all the way to the year 2000. Um, and he's actually like, like, he's a little before my time as far as like his star shining brightly. So I'm not really familiar with a lot of the stuff that he does. And I don't really know what his most famous role is, but he's a highly well-regarded actor. So it's interesting to kind of see him sort of slumming it in this film. Like this is fairly low budget, kind of crass you know, sci-fi yeah. film. Yeah, I've definitely seen him in other things. I mean, he plays, like, police captains and detectives. And, like, I mean, he plays he plays actual, like, acting roles. And, and right. this one was, like, way out of character for well, what I've seen him in before. He's, I think he's most famous for playing Lincoln. I think he's done Link. He's played Lincoln, like, three times. Oh. I could be wrong about that. He's played, I think he's played at least three different presidents, and I think he's played Lincoln himself three times. I could see that. He played, like, uh, like journalist in, like, a couple of movies about, like, Watergate. uh uh-huh. And so he does a lot of, like, dramatic work like that. Yeah, yeah. This particular movie seems to be slightly out of his normal wheelhouse. Way outside his wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, Tim McIntyre was the voice of Blood, the dog. He died in 86, uh, and he also did music for this film, and he sang the title song that ran over the end credits. Um, he's mostly an actor, but he occasionally does music for movies that he stars in, So, and he's been gone for a while. And then Tiger was Blood, the dog in the movie, who died before a planned sequel could be made. So, Aww. Yeah, poor Blood. Poor sequel series of movies so this movie was based on a novella by harlan ellison very famous sci-fi author also did i have no mouth and must scream was probably his his most famous work this is one of a number of movies including the mad max franchise and forbidden planet to inspire the fallout video game series yeah uh you you caught it i don't know if you did not dog meat towards the beginning of the movie he calls uh blood dog meat as an insult that's where the name dog meat comes from in the fallout 
things. Also, the underground civilization is uh, an inspiration for the vaults. vaults that show up in Fallout. So, uh, the movie takes place in the far-flung year of 2024, or five years from the recording of this podcast. Yeah. Um, and buckle, buckle up, people. <laughs> yep. Well, and Vic is born in 2006, which... Uh, he's alive somewhere right now. Yeah, he's alive somewhere right now, and he's 13 years old. So, Although this Vic was raised in the apocalypse. Yes. Like, he, he grew up being raised basically by the dog? Is that... Uh, it's not ever specified. Okay. But uh, there is one point where they ask about his parents, and he kind of laughs it off. But you don't yeah. ever get a real explanation about who or where. And he has said, off. like, you taught me everything I know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But uh, um, World War Three and World War Four both occurred before Vic was born. So they both occurred before the year 2006. So technically, we're already not in this Alternate universe. timeline. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, and a sequel was planned, and the sequel is going to be called A Girl and His Dog. So what exactly that was about, I, I don't know, but I would have loved to have seen that film. So I honestly thought I had seen this movie before, but while watching it and while recognizing parts of it, I realized I never actually watched it all the way through. Um, I probably just have seen bits and pieces on various things, you know. I did not understand the whole makeup thing of the underground dwellers. Sure. Their their almost clown level makeup. Yeah. That was that was a little weird. Um I would like to say though the uh parallels between the two movies There's some. They're pretty pretty interesting, uh, with the I mean they're both dystopian Societies for one, sure. And you pointed out Jason Robards' musicals, so there's a musical link plus you know the dog singing the end credit sequence too. So this that makes this a musical. Sure. If you want, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly how musical work. But yeah. um, cannibalism mm-hmm. and rape. Yep. Yep. Uh, I should point out that the cannibalism is. Um, supposed to be a surprise oh no, i mean it's a 40 year old movie so we're not spoiling. Uh, yeah i'm gonna say but we're pat way past plus, spoiler plus we days. tell you to watch these before you listen to this yeah. so that's your own fault but yeah the cannibalism is supposed to be the big surprise of the film um it, get almost to the point where it feels like the entire film was written just to make that joke at the end of the fucking movie because the movie ends on a fucking punchline this is an interesting movie just to think about in general terms, like just to stop everything else that you're doing and try and like put all the pieces of this movie together. Cause like it's the movie is very misogynistic. It's women are good for almost nothing other than uh, rape and reproduction. Uh, there's a point uh, the movie begins with a woman being attacked and, um, Don Johnson playing Vic, uh, kind of going to her rescue, but it's not for any sort of um, gallant reasons. It's because these other people are going to rape her before he can, for all intents and purposes. Yep. So it's extremely bleak. It's also well, and his line. Uh, uh, they didn't need to cut her. They didn't need to cut her. She 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 was good for two or three more uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uses is yep. exactly how he puts it. Yeah. So, um, in this post-apocalyptic world, uh, women do not have a very good, um, and I, don't, I, I mean, theoretically speaking, this may just be how a post-apocalyptic world would wind up being anyway. Yeah, because people are shit. Because people are shit, and because women are easy targets, I feel like as absolutely brutally misogynistic as this film is, it is somewhat representative of a male psyche in a world where there are no strict laws or ways to enforce laws aside from at the barrel of your own gun. Yeah. So there's a, uh, I don't think it was intended to be this way, but um, as time has passed, this movie has become somewhat of a commentary on uh, like a toxic masculinity sort of a thing. 
I mean, I mean it's almost definitely not intended to be this when it was made because that really wasn't even a term when it, when it was made but it, de it definitely delves like almost all of the guys in this film are shitty to one degree or another and even the women are to some extent there's only yeah well, I, I mean, mean the, his his one true love or whatever she ends up being Quilla yeah she yeah. I mean she she's a user was she's, yeah she was only doing what she was doing so she could get him to do what she wants anyway so yeah there's a bit of a in order to survive this sort of a scenario you have to or in order for a woman to survive this sort of an area scenario you have to be sort of um a cunning uh linguist uh, <laughs> sorry <no>. sorry <laughs> <laughs> um you have to be uh, like cunning and ambitious and uh, willing to use people to get your your needs met or the means to your end. And I think to some extent, Quilla is uh, like a born survivor in the society. Yeah. But there's always like a bigger fish. And Vic is just like dumb enough that these kind of tactics don't work on him. Like, he doesn't... He just sees things in very sort of black and white terms. Yeah. And so, Food, sex. Right. And so when it comes to Quilla and her machinations, he's t fully unaffected by this. Like, he's not... Like, he's gotten what he wants from her. And then he wound up in a... Sh going after her, he winds up in a shitty situation that he doesn't want any part of. Yep. And so when she's trying to drag him back into it to get her needs met, he's like, fuck this, I'm not even going to deal with it. She eventually gets to a point where she just has to give up and go with him because the entire society has turned against her and she's been sentenced to the farm, which for all intents and purposes is just a death sentence. The I'm, farm. I'm, I'm imagining something like uh, being upcycled into Soylent Green or something. Right. Well, they talk about this very briefly in the very first scene with the council when they're all in the chamber and they're bringing people up on the stage. The farm seems to be like a, colloquial, a colloquialism for a death penalty, and they get to decide what that death penalty is. For some people, it was the uh, for the people that the very first people that you see up on the stage, it was heart attacks. They're going to simulate heart attacks for the people, and then somebody else got attacked by I don't know rabid weasels or something. I don't remember what the other ones were, but. Um, being sent to the farm is just a polite societal way to say, we're going to execute you now. You're going to die. Yeah. And uh, their chief executioner is a guy by the name of Michael, who is a Terminator. Robot? Yeah, he's an android uh, with a big stupid smile on his face the entire time. And he just runs around and fucking strangles people to death until juice falls out of their mouth. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, quite understand. And uh, maybe, maybe reading the book might have some other revelations but um the men were the ones that were sterile in this society uh, it seems like that was the case because, because the plan they, is the women could be impregnated yeah the plan is to impregnate all the women with 35 oh. they, there's a population control they impregnate 35 women okay and then they kill the impregnator right and uh vic was not aware that this was how any of this was going to work yeah and they use a machine, by the way. Like, he doesn't actually get to impregnate the women the old, good old-fashioned way. They milk him yeah. like a cow. Yeah. And then do artificial insemination. And so his seed was, because of their population control methods and because they are, the men are sterile, they will occasionally lure people from the, the overworld down underground and then use them to impregnate their women. And they will do it 35 women at a time. And then they will kill the uh, the impregnator because he's not a member of their society and they don't want him in their society. Population control. Yep. So they want people that they can raise from birth to be productive, quote-unquote, members of their society, basically rules followers. And this council just sort of rules everything with an iron fist. But they're hilarious because they're like folksy old people. <laughs> they're very like caught up in bureaucracy and uh, this sort of 1950s, 1960s farm life sort of sentiment, like they have, and the whole uh, uh, Americana, the very yeah, you know, the marching bands running like through the that fields. Definitely of, reminded me of uh, 
Fallout to a mm-hmm. point as well yeah. with with that that feel of you know vault tech blah blah you know like yeah. like uh, yeah it's very mm-hmm. very much uh, yeah they have that um, feel. their setup is essentially like uh, it's not astroturf it's it's actual grass but it's all underground there's a big grass park with like a fucking orchard in it picnic tables all over the fucking place for big outdoor like barbecue sort of fests like corn on the cob festival sort of stuff with a freaking straight out of high school marching band that just kind of walks through the scene like it's so folksy americana like yeah. over the top and that's i think where all that makeup comes from it's everybody has painted a, a happy face on it says nobody is allowed to be unhappy in their society everybody follows the rules and the people who follow the rules get all the benefits. That's true. Some of the judgments that were being passed on people were... Uh, For being dissenters. Yeah. People who question the rules or people... That's another parallel between the two movies. The weird, unfair judgments, unfair punishments, sure. possibly. I mean, still... A little more dour in the yeah, yeah. Um, Fleet Street, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's just the opposite emotion for all intents and purposes. Uh, everybody's a cynic in Fleet Street, and everybody needs to be an optimist underground. In uh, forced to be, <laughs> yeah, forced optimism. So, it's a fantastic sort of little uh, evangelical society. Yeah, but the I mean, we haven't even gotten to this yet. But the main premise of the movie is it's just Vic and his dog, and that they have a telepathic. Oh yeah, link. Yeah, why, we why, totally skipped I was, over I was, all I was, that. I was good. At, I was I was going to bring it up. Uh, uh, I guess something about the nuclear bombs triggered it's some sort of telekinesis. Never explained. No. And it's also never explained if him, if Vic and Blood are the only two that can communicate with each other. Because they talk about other dogs. Well, there is the one um, Jason Robards character talks to a dog underground for a minute. What right. did, what did yeah, you tell does. him? Yeah, and does. then he apparently doesn't say anything because he turns his head away. I'm guessing, right? But but there's no. Uh... So yeah, there is there is some degree of hint. telepathy between. There's at least a hint that there's between t- men and dogs. Yeah. It doesn't because like well, here's the thing: when he first and I don't, it's hard to say if whether or not this is part of her um, uh, deception strategy. But at, when she first meets, when Quilla June first meets um, Vic above ground, one of the things she asks is why she can't talk to Blood, and how does Vic talk to Blood, and all this. So she doesn't seem to have any understanding that there is a, a, the ability for men and dogs right. to communicate with each other, even though it is clearly happening underground, at least in one instance. At least in one instance. There's also the. Uh the raiders or whatever that uh, they, they have a they dog get in a fight with they have a dog but it's never it's never depicted whether or not that dog can communicate with not exactly except for when uh, blood is telling vic or vic is complaining about you know let's hurry up before some other dog sniffs her out or, or something like that right so that's, that's brought up but that's never it's never expressly stated that, that it's telepathic yeah but like does everyone in the post in this post-apocalyptic world train their dogs to sniff out women then like yeah it seems like that's yeah it seems like women are in such short supply and it's because they're easy targets they're used and then killed yeah afterwards that they're uh, which I they're mean, a commodity yeah which that seems like population control right there because to some extent hard yeah. hard to breed if uh, you kill all your yeah people capable of carrying children but you know whatever another thing about that scene though where they talk about because there's a scene where um after they have uh raided some people who are uh scrounging for food who are digging up food um they wind up using some of that food as currency to get into a little campsite that has that plays movies and they make popcorn there's just haircuts and showers there but one of the other commodities that they provide is there is an actual prostitute there. And that you can trade her food for sex. Um, and you, she's only there for just like a scene. But during that same sequence, um, Blood tells Vic that there is a woman here. 
Yeah. And it seems like, well, yeah, there's a prostitute there. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's definitely a woman there. We already know that. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it, it seems weird that Vic is n- no interest in this particular prostitute. Yeah, when but he's he, supposedly been looking and he's getting all cranky because he hasn't had sex in yeah. six weeks or whatever yeah. he says, you know. He would rather, this is the kind of character is, he would rather hunt down and, and rape, rape instead of pay for it. Instead of pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's not a great no. lead character either. No, he's kind of a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole reason that he winds up, because at one point in time, uh, they have that whole sequence where uh, Quilla June gives herself to him, and then there's a big, long like montage of blood being like, I'm not going to pretend to be asleep anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch you guys having sex anymore, and all this other stuff. Um, but then she winds up... Uh, blindsiding Vic and knocking him out and taking off to get back to the underground and uh, Vic winds up following her and leaving blood behind and the whole reason that he does that is because he thinks he has a regular thing now Yeah. and he doesn't want to give that up he has like a regular breeding partner that uh, um, or he thinks he does I mean, he doesn't care so much for the breeding as for the sex though well sure like, yeah, but, but- the breeding is going to wind up being a part of it one way yeah, or the other. Yeah, eventually. So his whole motivation is... It's sex. He's such a one-dimensional character for all intents and purposes. Like, he's dumb as a box of rocks. Um, blood is always teaching him about the apocalypse, and well, he's, he's always quizzing him about, quizzing him about history and stuff like that, which I also didn't quite understand how the hell blood mm-hmm. knows this much human history... Like that seemed a little. Yeah. I mean, I mean, may I'm sure there's probably some weird ass explanation or whatever. That, they probably picked up a know, lot of it listening to because the podcasts. Dogs, no, oh. listening to conversations in the wasteland, because dogs in this particular, well, at least blood, were never really given any insight into any other dogs. I'm, I'm assuming other dogs though, yeah. just just from the couple of other examples they had, but. But dogs seem to have a human level of intelligence. They just don't have any way to express that to humans outside of the telepathic link that they have. So Blood understands history. He understands the calendar. He knows the dates when things happened. He knows enough about human society to teach it to Vic. Yeah. And Vic is just dumb enough that he has to be taught over and over and over again. Because he just doesn't, it doesn't sink in with him. He's more focused on the very base food, sex, shelter, survival, that, and nothing else is, a, is that important to him. The only time that any of this history stuff comes up as important to him is when he's trying to use it to impress Quilla June. Right. Yeah. And she's already light years ahead of him as far as intelligence goes. Oh, yeah. So it's a very like stark black and white look at male and female in the post-apocalyptic sort of like the the survival strategies that they use to get by in a post-apocalyptic and it's very it seems well it doesn't seem it actually is it's very blatantly stated that without blood Vic doesn't survive this this apocalypse because the first time he leaves blood he gets fucking captured and turned into a fucking breed machine and he's gonna get killed the only reason that he escapes that is because Quilla gets him out because she wants to use him to further her goals and he's like, "Fuck that! I'm going." <laughs> so, yeah, I, not a great movie, but it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I mean, and and I did. I mean, I appreciated the uh, post-apocalyptic uh, placement of it, and uh, and of course the uh, contributions that uh, Fallout the Fallout video games stole from this movie and others like it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely could see where, what, what they picked and chose from, you know, in that and, uh, similar humor for a lot of intensive purposes, you mm-hmm. know, very, very, very similar, uh, mindset, I guess. I don't know. It was, uh, it was interesting though. I did find the constant chattering of the dog to be annoying, though. There are some, very- and then that weird like 
I I I I attributed it to be the telepathic link, but there was like that weird whistle noise thing that happened on occasion. No, no, that he makes that noise when he's sniffing for things. Okay, that's the that's how they because there's not a really good way to relay that. Okay, it's supposed to be like kind of a radar noise uh, that he makes when he's sniffing the area for stuff. Okay, yeah. All right, I could I could see that. I don't know. I I found that to be annoying as well, but uh so in this instance the dog annoys Jason. <laughs> yes. Which is not usually the case. Yeah. The dog is my favorite part of the movie. And I think this is part of the problem with the movie. Early test audiences did not like the segment underground because they thought that it slowed the movie down and it which is true. Yeah. It's it's much slower in that area. And uh, But the big issue is the dog isn't there. In a movie called A Boy and His Dog, the dog is not there for a, a large chunk of the yeah. film. Yeah. Well, at least 15, 20 minutes of the film. I don't want to say a large chunk because it's in it's the third act of the film. But um, he winds up leaving the dog behind, and the interactions between Blood and Vic are the best part of the film because it's a constant... Like, if you really, like... If you just break this film down to almost its bare components, it's about, I want to say, 25-30% of the film is Don Johnson yelling at a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the whole fucking film. That's about right. Yep. <laughs> and this amazing-ass fucking dog just acting like, okay, this is the thing that's happening now. <laughs> the dog doesn't. It almost seems completely nonchalant about the whole thing, which is fantastic. Because it's literally a dude yelling at the fucking dog for... 20% of the movie, which is just, just hilarious. Maybe even more. Maybe. Yeah, this is a movie that I kind of grew up with. I well, and, and, and I, I grew up with other movies with talking animals in them because sure. that seemed like a pretty big staple of the 70s and 80s is, you know, talking sure. animals. It happened. But, but most of that is Disneyfied. That's a yeah, word. sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's... I mean, Benji and Lassie weren't necessarily talking dogs in the same sense, but for all intents and purposes, they're the stars of their movies. Yeah, they're both very, uh, but even very easily to communicate. It's very yeah. easy for them to communicate. With but people. even stuff like I, I mean, Shaggy Da was a dog. Well, it was a human that got turned into a dog, but he was a dog, and he Shaggy Da. So, just go with it. Shaggy District Attorney. Yep. Okay. Yep. Whatever. He's a Da that turns into a sheepdog alright <laughs> tell you I've seen some pretty pretty dark stuff in my day sir yeah right I'm sure that was real dark I was thinking like the the third look who's talking movie where the pets are talking and but yeah for some reason uh, this particular talking dog was driving me insane just the constant chatter so anyway uh, I guess that's it for movie stuff I guess it's time to discuss next episode. Next time on Stupendosaurus Rex. Yeah, under normal circumstances, this is where we'll be recommending movies, but these aren't normal circumstances. This episode marks uh, one year of doing this podcast. Um, the next episode that we release will be a sort of one-year uh, retrospective. That's going to come out in just a couple of days because our anniversary will be April 15th. So if you're listening to this on the Friday that it's released, uh, the Monday following, we will have another episode up. That episode is going to be our one-year anniversary episode. It's going to be a retrospective about the podcast in general, but it is also going to be a post-mortem about the podcast in general because we are sunsetting this podcast. At least um, at least in its current iteration. Yeah. We may or may not keep the name or not. We don't know yet. But, yeah, we're but still we're kind gonna... of... Kicking that around. Kicking stuff around. I, I I personally really like the name, but I do... It makes it hard to find. Pe- people kind of don't problem. know. Yeah. A lot of people have a hard time spelling, spelling it. It. <laughs> yeah. it was a great idea. Well, I don't know if it's a great idea or not. And we'll talk about we'll talk all about, about all that stuff in the anniversary episode. But uh, there aren't going to be any film recommendations for our next episode because there isn't going to be a next episode, at least in this format. Um we are going to be off 
um, on the 28th of, of April when we would normally release uh, another episode. Um, and then we will be back at the end of May with a new episode because we are going to move to a monthly format for this podcast. And it's probably going to be a more um, conversational podcast as opposed to... Uh, movie. Having, yeah, movie specific. Yeah, we will probably yeah. talk about uh, science stories and pop culture stories and things of that nature. Um, and it'll just be more like a conversational whatever it is that's on our plate at the time that we want to discuss. What we're excited about. Yep. And yep. we'll probably actually try and keep it a shorter podcast too. We want to go aim for kind of like a 30-minute sort of a podcast as opposed to the hour sometimes hour and a half long podcast that we've put out in the past yeah uh just to make it more easily digestible we just want to kind of say for those of you who aren't going to be following after this i don't know how many of you there are bye well yeah there's bye we also want to say thanks for oh yeah that too thanks (laughs) thanks for for stick it sticking it through yeah and hopefully you'll you know you'll stick through with our new stuff as well, and hopefully it'll be better and more easily accessible to the masses. Um, but this, for whatever reason, this podcast just didn't work out. In well, I know a lot of the reasons that it didn't work out, but we'll talk about that in the anniversary episode. That's pretty much what the anniversary episode is going to be all about. And uh, and I think that's all I got. Yep. Yeah. So it's been fun, guys. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you again next month um if you want to continue to follow us you can follow us at stupendosaurusrex.com we've got all of our links up there um and for those of you who are moving on to greener pastures thanks for running with us we appreciate your patronage thanks for hanging with us it's been fun yeah bye bye